Do you have a personal model? Uh, some people do. Uh, some people has. Some people have that as, as their personal model. Carpe diem. Seize the day. And uh, I have seen if uh, if we can trust the bumper stickers. Um, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, that's some people's model. Do you have a personal model? And if you do, what is it? As I think about it, Paul's personal model was surely anything for the gospel. Anything for the gospel. And because we have already seen that Paul was not afraid of any hindrance, any obstacle, any opposition. He did not shy away from even physical harm and assault in order to preach the gospel. And if we read Philippians chapter 3, there Paul talks about the many things he lost for the sake of Christ. And Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And it's very likely that Paul, uh, who had been a Pharisee, when he became a Christian, he was probably disowned by his family. And since it was expected a Pharisee to be married, it's probably the case that his wife walked out on him when he became a Christian. Paul gave up a promising future, a social standing, even family, and became a persona non grata, a person not welcome because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. But Paul was willing to endure every pain. He was willing to give up every privilege, all for the sake of the gospel. And that was exactly the point of contention between Paul and Barnabas, which we saw in the last week's passage. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul was strenuously opposed to that idea. Why? Because, you see, John Mark, he, he was not willing to lay everything at the foot of the cross for the sake of the gospel. And this became such a, a divisive issue that Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Barnabas left with John Mark, and Paul left with a new partner, Silas. And now, in this passage, we are introduced to a different young man who becomes Paul's helper and partner. And that brings us to Timothy. Now, let's uh, remind ourselves what's been going on, because we, of course, we always have to read any passage of Scripture in view of its context. You remember how in chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council carefully weighed the teachings of some people that's summarized for us in chapter 15, verse 1. These people came to Antioch from Jerusalem claiming to have the authority and the stamp of approval of Jerusalem apostles, and they were teaching uh, the Gentile Christians Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
They were saying to the Gentile believers, your faith in Christ is not enough because what saves you really is you keeping the laws of Moses. You cannot trust Jesus to have accomplished your salvation because you have to earn it. Heaven helps those who help themselves, if I can put it that way. And so this became such a divisive issue and a controversy that the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem were convened uh, into a Jerusalem council. And when they carefully considered the matter, uh, they spoke with one voice, and they clearly affirmed that sinners are saved not by the works of the law. Sinners are saved not by or according to what they have done for God, but according to what God has done for them. Sinners are saved not through living a good life, but because Jesus died for sinners and rose from the dead for sinners. So we are saved not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jerusalem Council also composed a letter attesting to the true gospel. And so last week we saw in chapter 15, verse 30, Paul and company first took that letter from Jerusalem Council to Antioch. And we read in verse 32 that Paul and company delivered the letter of the gospel of grace to the Christians in Antioch, and they encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after Antioch, Paul and Silas took the council's letter, and we read, we read in verse 41, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And now here in this passage, in chapter 16, Paul has brought the letter to Derby and to Lystra. Now you might remember that Paul had visited these regions of Galatia sometime before. Uh, in fact, Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. And Paul's ministry there was literally of blood and tears. But we see here that his ministry was not in vain because when Paul returned to Derby and Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul found a kindred spirit in Timothy, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Now you recognize that Paul had refused to take John Mark with him because John Mark, he was not wholly committed to the gospel. But as Paul will tell us later, this is what Paul says about Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul calls Timothy, my true child in the faith. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul calls Timothy, my beloved child. And we also learn from Paul later that Timothy often suffered from physical ailments. Physically, he was weak. Um, and he was naturally very timid and very shy. You know, it's interesting to me, when I read about Timothy, um, most churches today would refuse to hire him as a pastor who is 
perpetually, constantly sick, one who is timid and shy. But despite his natural limitations, Timothy uh, had a different sort of strength that was produced by the Spirit of God. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes of Timothy, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me, served with me in the gospel. So even though Timothy was very young when Paul first met him, the believers at Lystra and Iconium saw that Timothy's motto, if I can put it that way, Timothy's motto was also anything for the gospel. And so Timothy became Paul's helper and partner. And that brings us to the second point of observation, which is Timothy's circumcision. Timothy's circumcision. Now we read here that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. In other words, Timothy was a product of two cultures and two different religious backgrounds. Timothy's Jewish mother, Eunice, brought him up in the faith of the Jewish people. But because his father was a Gentile, Timothy had not been circumcised. And so Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And this is a strange turn of events because you realize, don't you, that Paul carried into Lystra and Derby the council's letter that dismissed the need for circumcision. And you know that Paul was himself the leading voice against requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised. And over the last few weeks, we consider the reason uh, carefully. Circumcision was a, a sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. God came to Abraham and he promised them, lift up your eyes and look at the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then some years later, after Abraham had been justified by faith, some years later, God came to Abraham and gave him the sign of uh, uh, circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And Abraham was commanded to circumcise all of his male descendants. And the purpose and the intent of that was every single one of Abraham's male descendants would be circumcised, and through their circumcision, they would be reminded of their father Abraham, who was justified by faith before he was circumcised. And the circumcision was supposed to teach all of Abraham's descendants that 
they need cleansing. And that cleansing comes just as it came to their father Abraham. The cleansing of the heart comes through faith in God's promises. And so circumcision instructed the Old Testament people the necessity of cleansing. And that cleansing of the heart is received ultimately in the most complete sense by faith in Jesus. Or let me put it to you this way. Um, I'm old enough that I used to drive around with a copy of Thomas Guide. Did you used to do that? Yeah. The physical maps. Now, we all have phones with GPS on them, and we are the first generation ever in the history of humankind who would never get lost. You know, isn't that fascinating? Um, but I'm old enough that I used to use maps before, and you think about that. You need a map, and you depend on a map while you are traveling. But once we arrive at our destination, we no longer need the map. It has done its job, and we put it away. And similarly, circumcision pointed to the benefits that believers will receive in Jesus Christ. And once we receive those benefits of forgiveness and justification, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the New Testament believers, we put aside circumcision with gratitude. That's the gospel that Paul insisted on. That's the gospel that the Jerusalem Council uh, affirmed, wrote in a letter, and sent by Paul's hands. So why does Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, surely Paul's motto, anything for the gospel, helps us to understand it. You know, Paul knew that circumcision no longer has spiritual value before God. But it had its use before men. Let me explain it to you this way. Paul's ministry, which now has become Timothy's ministry also, was both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. But the Jews would not pay any attention to an uncircumcised son of a Gentile father. And that is why Paul circumcised Timothy, because Timothy's circumcision would encourage the Jews to receive Paul and Timothy not as proclaiming a new faith that is invented, but as proclaiming the very fulfillment of God's promises to their fathers. Paul knew the gospel, and he would not give an inch. But for the sake of proclamation, he gave everything. So this is how Paul would put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. You see, that explains what is happening here. Timothy's circumcision was not for the sake of his soul but it was for the sake of removing hindrance and obstacles to those he was bringing the word of God. I think something similar happened with Hudson Taylor, the renowned missionary to China. And it is said that when Hudson Taylor went to China, he dyed his hair black and he wore uh, Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese clothing in order to make it easier for the Chinese people to hear his message. And that's what Paul is doing here. And that's why Timothy himself availed himself to be circumcised, not because there was any doubt or uncertainty about the gospel of grace, and not for the sake of his soul, but for the sake of ministry for the sake of removing hindrance and obstacles before his hearers. So Timothy, and then Timothy's circumcision, and thirdly, we observe that Timothy has joined the team. And so we read here, Paul and Silas and Timothy went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. You see what they are doing? They are delivering the very message and the verdict of the Jerusalem council that clearly and unequivocally affirmed a person is saved not by circumcision but by faith in Jesus Christ. They are delivering the pure gospel. And they held on to the truth firmly. And they did not give an inch when circumcision was made to be a means of salvation. But they also knew that spiritual reformation does not happen overnight. And so they proclaimed and applied the truth with gentleness and with patience. They made themselves servants. They surrendered their practice of refusing circumcision. And I say that again, they surrendered their practice, not their doctrine. They surrendered how the gospel had worked out in visible and practical terms in their personal lives while holding firmly to the gospel truth, they accommodated themselves to the weakness of their hearers. Our society, and I think sometimes we underestimate how the mores, the mindset, and the worldview of the uh, community around us can infiltrate into our hearts. Ours is a society that places a high premium on our individual and personal rights. Now, of course, we are grateful for them. 
and they are worth defending. But because our society places such a high premium on our personal and individual rights, the thought that we can deny ourselves our rights, our personal convictions, for the sake of others, can come across as a foreign language that we cannot comprehend. And surely there is much food for thought here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, as it concerned the gospel, they did not give an inch. But as they accommodated to the weaknesses and the situations of people who are uninformed, uneducated, uninstructed, they were able to put aside their strong and even right convictions, deny themselves, and accommodate to the weaknesses of people around them. It's very challenging, isn't it? And so through Paul and Silas and Timothy, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, if you notice, Luke has said the same thing twice before. In verse 30, uh, chapter 15, verse 32, uh, the result of Paul's ministry there at Antioch was that the church was strengthened. And when Paul went to uh, Syria and Cilicia, the result again was that the church was strengthened. And now Paul and Silas and Timothy, through their ministry, the churches were strengthened in the faith. And Luke's repetition, the churches were strengthened, the churches were strengthened, the churches were strengthened. That repetition shows what really matters. I think one of, the, one of the weaknesses of our culture as it has impacted us that we are not always aware is that we, we tend to think of the Christian faith in a very individualistic terms. Uh, my personal relationship with Jesus. And church has value only in so far as it adds something to my personal walk with Jesus. And somehow we've forgotten that while that is very important, there is a bigger picture and even something more important. The churches are strengthened. We have come to be in Christ so that we may be with our brothers and sisters. Jesus has blessed us so that we might bless our brothers and sisters. And so we do not insist on our rights. Again, when it comes to the gospel, do not give an inch. But as Paul shows us here, uh, he applies the truth with gentleness, with patience. With, he makes every accommodation for those he was put in charge over. Denying ourselves even what is good to build up the church. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus denied himself his rights. What he was entitled to, he gave up. And he became a servant. And he went to the cross. 
and die the death that he did not deserve, that we might receive the life that he alone is entitled to. That's what Jesus did. May we all be like Jesus, and then the church will be strengthened in the faith. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you and we thank you for the instruction that we have received. And we pray that you would form us to be men and women who, like the Lord Jesus Christ, love the lost and love those who are weak, to deny ourselves gladly and willingly that others might be blessed. And help us, O Lord, to be Christians who are generous in our love and eager in our service and help us to be men and women who who will do anything and everything for the gospel. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.